the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Don't need money, don't need fame, don't need no credit card to ride this train because it's the UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Hello listener and welcome to this edition of the UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Simply the best weekly tech podcast arriving in your ears every Friday like the first breath after a coma. This is the UK (laughs) Tech Weekly Podcast, a weekly spritz of infotainment from the editors of PC Advisor, Tech World, Mac World UK and Computer World UK. Every Friday we form up an audience dance troupe, busting audio moves on our strip of audio lino in order to bring you no more than 40 minutes of informed tech chat on the hot tech topics of the past seven days. Don't forget to subscribe, review and tell your friends. And if you'd like to be associated with this prime slice, slice, slice of audio beef, you can sponsor us. Get in touch at editor at idg.co.uk or via the at UK Tech Podcast Twitter feed. I'm Matt Egan, Editorial Director of IDG UK, and today I am delighted to be joined in conversation by the somewhat chiselled Henry Burrell, staff writer of PC Advisor and Macworld UK. Easy now. The nicely grizzled Christopher Manazians, also a staff writer at PC Advisor and Macworld UK. Hello. And the lemon drizzled David Price, <laughs> acting editor of Macworld UK. Alright. Also, as ever on the decks, is producer Chris Martin. Say hi, Chris. Hello. This week we are talking games, graphics cards and mobile networks. Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. Games! I wanna live forever! I wanna learn how to fly! Hi! David Price. (laughs) It's been a huge week in the always serious world of games and gaming. Massive new games titles and a couple of brouhaha's. Let's play. Yes, a big week uh, for games... We are starting to get the early manoeuvrings ahead of E3, uh, which is the big uh, gaming, what do you call it, show? The big so that, gaming that's, show. That's when sort of typically the big games are announced. Yeah, uh, yes, or, or shown off. Um, yeah, and that's in uh, in June, so uh, which we are heading towards at precipitate rate. Is precipitate a word? Quickly. Anyway, um, <laughs> so this week, Battlefield One, the latest. Weird that they called it Battlefield 1, we'll get onto that in a minute, uh, but that's the latest in the Battlefield uh, shooting game franchise that's been announced, and its rival, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, or Call of Duty Infinite Dislikes, as it's getting <laughs> called. Uh, they've both been announced, we've had trailers for both of those, uh, which have caused a great deal of uh, excitement and, as you say, controversy respectively. Let's talk about the, uh, the dislikes thing first. 
Okay, so it's uh, yeah, Call of Duty: Infinite Warfare. It's in it's set in space, which is a sort of semi new thing for the franchise. They've done it a bit, um, but these are traditionally both franchises um, quasi historical shooting franchises. Generally, they're they're set in. Um, either real conflicts or analogues of real conflicts. So, um, so like when uh, little Matt used to run around with a stick, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, pointing at were, his were you, friends. Were you pretending to be pointing your stick at your friends? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, yeah, yeah you were. You were, <laughs> you were playing out a real historical war. Well, we'll get on. To, yeah, exactly. We'll get because, um, yeah, it's something that occurred to me being today. Napoleon, yeah, or something. Um, so, psychology. <laughs> High base gag. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Napoleon was actually five foot eight, which is my. He height. was. He was. Av- he was well, he, he was, in in his day, five foot eight was average. In our day, yeah. uh, if not five foot eight. Anyway, so He's, anyway, um, uh, people don't like it anyway. So there's been. I was looking up. There's been 18 million views on the um, uh, on the trailer for Call of Duty: Infinite Warfare on YouTube, and 1.8 million dislikes which uh, maths fans will immediately recognise as a 10% dislike ratio. That is a strong dislike ratio. Um, which I'm, I'm told, actually, that a lot of people have made multiple accounts in order to do multiple dislikes. Okay. So it's possible that there isn't actually that many people, but the number of people is they are very strongly motivated in their dislike of this game. So. But then in the world of, say, movies or even books, often the failures are the things that don't arouse strong feelings. And anything for which you could argue strongly positively or strongly negatively tends to have a bit of an afterlife and success. It's, they're both going to be successful games, right. absolutely. Our, our, our game expert, Lewis, told me before I came in that uh, Call of Duty games always come in for, for hate and people still buy and play them. Did he regardless. say they're always hated on? I think he might have done, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think person? he might have used the phrase <laughs> the haters the as haters. well. Haters got to hate. Haters do got to hate, I hear. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> Battlefield 1, meanwhile, which um, I find a much more interesting idea, that's had uh, 26 million views on its trailer, which is only a bit more, but it's only had 24,000 dislikes which is uh, 0.1%. Uh, <laughs> a much smaller percentage, <laughs> a much, fans. A much smaller. 0.1 is smaller than 10. Um, and one thing that I thought was quite interesting about Battlefield 1 is um, is, is the sort of slightly uh, cool response in some quarters um, related to the fact they've chosen World War One, which is yeah. an odd choice in a lot of ways. So I was thinking about this earlier on today, which is why I brought up my playing army games as a kid with sticks thing, because it is kind of the same thing. Because instinctively I'm I'm repelled and appalled by the idea of a game that's based in the trenches of the Western Front and World War One. But then the more I sort of question myself on that, I'm totally inconsistent because I'm comfortable with movies that exist for entertainment based yeah. on such events. And we are, as a culture, much more comfortable with the Second World War, weirdly. I mean, like yeah. there, there are sort of humorous films about Nazis going to the moon and so on and so forth. Uh, I was walking in from the station this morning. I passed a pub that was advertising for new staff and it had the General Kitchener um, finger pointing out saying, we need yeah. you, you know, which was used to recruit literally millions of people to new armies. So it, it it kind of intrigued me because I, I the idea of being a put for entertainment 
trying to, in some form, be in the shoes of somebody who's in the trenches in the First World War. You know, 100 years ago today, the Battle of Verdun was going on. Uh, in a couple of months, we're going to get to the 100-year anniversary of the Battle of the Somme, where, you know, 60,000 people were casualties in a, in a day. It just feels awful. But, as I say, I, I'm comfortable with movies about the First World War, and yeah. we seem to have a much different culture around other conflicts. So, it is. Yeah, it it's, is. it's interesting, the... the the, the inconsistency part of it i think is games in the popular mind are still felt to be because i mean it's fair enough because they have the word game in the in the title but yeah. they, they seem trivial and they seem um juvenile and people assume that anything that that is featured in them will be thereby trivialized or yeah. or you know made into a into a and play toy. there's a bit of a generational thing in that as well isn't there yeah. which is that um even though these days demographically pretty much everyone plays games, up to and including people who are of retirement age, it's still perceived as a young person's pursuit. It's, it's right, but but it but it isn't anymore. Yeah. That's it. And um, and I I strongly feel that games should be able to portray um, any anything that they want to in the same way that books and, and yeah. films and so on should. But then but then the other thing I came to, and, and I'm not comfortable with this, but the other thing that I realised I was feeling was that there is a difference between what you might call passive art, such as movies, where you're watching watching something. And actually, movies, is that's all wrong anyway, because you bring your own experience to watching a movie or reading a book. But the very fact of a game is that you're playing and yeah. you are in it. And that just... Because because World War One represents such a huge cultural thing, I wondered if... Even more than World War Two, weirdly. Well, I in, did, in, I in Britain and France, I think, World War One. Have have a particular place in our psyche because I mean they there were more casualties in this country in World War One, um, but World War Two was it was a bloodier conflict. You look at something like Stalingrad, yeah, um, is it, is almost more horrifying. I think it's because the Nazis were in World War Two. There was a clear enemy, mm. um, and in the same way that video games like to put zombies, yeah, in so that it's it's a dehumanized enemy that you can you can simultaneously get a kick out of exploding their brain but but it's not a human so it's okay yeah um nazis represent that in a historical yeah a, a comfortable baddie a black hat yeah. exactly. uh, and and but i do wonder as well if there's a bit of a, a a loss of innocence thing about the world war one as well because world war one was closer in time now to uh you know the franco-prussian war uh which was a cavalry war or right. you know um and you know it's 100 years ago uh, but it was the first mechanised war. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, and I'm interested to hear what you guys, Henry and Christopher, think about this, because also there is a bit of an age gap between us. Uh, yeah. And I wonder if it's even your viewpoints different on that score. Well, I will say I don't game that much. But when I, I couldn't believe that the dislike story became a story. It was like on the BBC and everything. But from what, David, you said about those stats, I would have thought that the general outrage about making a game about World War One, you'd have had your millions of dislikes. Because yep. I presume there's a lot of people yeah. who are watching it are going to be gamers. But then <laughs> the figures that are actually the news stories, oh, gamers don't like space, no war in space, <laughs> space is bad. Yeah. But then, like, really, like, would you say, like, 0.1% if we're, if we're count yeah. it, counting, that, I don't know, maybe they just don't want to don't buy a game from World War One. There doesn't seem to be any gaming... Um, outrage. It's yeah, more just I, us I, sitting there, seeing the trailer and going, ooh. I mean, I, I completely agree that, I mean, I never really got why the glorification of war within a game hasn't been picked up more in our culture. Yeah. I mean, you think about Medal of Honor, all those games that go way, for, way further back, they just sort of were, were fine. 
I don't know. Well, that's, that's <laughs> the thing for me is the key thing is whether it glorifies it or not. Yeah. Um, and, and the odd thing is, is that it's the games that are explicitly anti-war that more often get criticised. Mm. The, the mm. big one in my generation was Cannon Fodder in about, I think, 93. Um, and Ming Campbell, who later became leader of the Lib Dems, he called it monstrous. And the Daily Star got on board and the uh, the British Legion... Because they all felt that it was... It's a very strange uh, coalition. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> and they, they felt that it was making light of um, of casualties of war. Because sure. it, it treated various uh, conflicts. But actually, that game is explicitly anti-war. And it's mm. I, I found it quite moving as, as, a, as a teenager. It was the first sort of understanding I'd had. Because you participate in it, because mm. of the interactive element... These are people you're controlling and you're sending them to die. And then after each mission, their gravestones are littered on this hillside. And um, that actually is, is, for me, a better way of dealing with war, even though it was, all, it was also humorous, it was also satirical. Yeah. Um, but yeah, something like Medal of Honor, where it's actually saying, you know, patriotism, yeah. gung-ho. Well, that's, that's why that's I, thought, worse. I, mean, I, don't, I know nothing about games, but surely a game that is based in a current or relatively recent um conflict is in some ways more problematic because you're kind of playing at a thing that you could potentially be actually involved in well there, there is there is a troubling current issue with how closely the u.s military works with games developers um they use games to um to recruit for the army and they use games to train people in the army right and you have actual arms manufacturers who work with video games makers to have their stuff put into games and that sort of yeah that sort of thing is much more worrying for me mm. the idea that it is encouraging people to to think that war is normal and uh and glorious but you know so, something like this i don't i don't know exactly how they're going to treat the world uh, world war one there's a game i like on the ipad called valiant heart which is set in world war one which was um released for the centenary of the start of world war one so it's a couple of years old now um but that's it, that's um again it, it's sort of cartoonish in graphics but it is it's about the impact of the war it's you know it's it's an adult piece of art um about an adult subject i think that's i think it's good the way that games are expanding in recent years to um to deal with things like that well i mean and a few years ago of course we had, we had frogger which <laughs> dealt with the don't make jokes about that my, my dad was killed by a frog well no um, i was thinking you know frogs crossing the road <laughs> in springtime can be quite you know it can be, it can be a massacre in uh, in rural surrey so <laughs> And they clog up your tyres as well. Let's go around the room and say, cod or bat. <laughs> um, Beautiful game or silly games. Cod or bat. Cod or bat. Cod or bat, <laughs> David Price. Bat. Okay. Henry Burrell, cod or bat? Cod. It's BF, but I'll go for BF. <laughs> I didn't know it was BF. I'm not going to go with BF. Can I change my answer? Yeah, but a BF isn't. I mean, a cod is a, a creature, as is a bat. That was the whole thing. <laughs> Could be your boyfriend as well if you if BF you, if BFF you swing that way. B, BFF. BFF. Best friend for that. Let's ponder that for a couple of anyway. seconds, and then we'll come back for the next section. <laughs> Christopher Manassians. Because of GPU, <laughs> these things I go through. Could have been under the boardwalk. I was thinking about that one as well. Yeah. Um, what is on the cards for graphics cards? Oh, that, that rhymed. Quite yeah. like that one. Um, so NVIDIA have announced Pascal, and Pascal is the architecture behind the new GTX 1080 and 1070. 
the two new graphics cards which are raising a lot of eyebrows in the industry right now um, simply because of their performance that's been showcased at the NVIDIA event uh, that took place just a few days ago. Um, the reason why it's interesting is because one, its price, the release price of the 1080 is coming at 449 So that, uh, pounds. That, that sounds immediately hugely expensive, but yep. you're about to tell me it's not? It's not because it is packing more punch than a £1,000 graphics card. Kapow! So it is really raising a lot of eyebrows in terms of how the industry's moved into different um, architectures. So sure. for example, the new architecture uses a different nanometer um, graphical processing unit. What are we down to in terms um, of nanometers? 16. If I'm not mistaken, it's 16 nanometers, which is really ridiculously that's low. That's more nanometers. Oh, that's, that's, that's small, yeah. I, I think I remember when, yeah. when, when, when 40 like nanometers yeah, was, was exciting. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, that's right, yeah. And okay. uh, the previous one was 28, which was... Oh, that's far too many nanometers. Too, too much. It's all, this is all about, just, just briefly to get technical, just because yeah. I want to show that I know some of this. <laughs> it's all about the uh, accuracy of manufacturing, right? So the smaller you can get that down to, yeah. the more... Uh, accurately you can create silicon that will perform faster exactly pretty much yeah. Boom. in a nutshell very good or googled <laughs> <laughs> i got back a long way in this game <laughs> so yeah i mean the graphics cards are just really exciting due to their prices due to their performance that they're bringing one to two times faster than the previous generation of graphics cards and they come in at the same price so you just think if you're going to be buying a new graphics card hold fire yeah and buy these ones um, and currently they're only um, on the Founders Edition. Now the Founders Edition is previously known as a reference card. So this is NVIDIA. actually made by NVIDIA actually rather made... than made by a graphics card manufacturer. Exactly. I'm on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this will now for the first time only be sold by NVIDIA, whereas previously you'd get like resellers like Overclockers or Amazon selling the Founders Edition. So I wasn't, well. I wasn't even thinking about this question, but mm. what is the point of third-party board manufacturers? So... It's more of a what is the point of a reference board. Right. <laughs> it's almost the other way uh, I would I would see it. It's because third-party manufacturers such as MSI, for example, yeah. or Asus or any of these guys, they produce often better spec PCBs. So, so they, they take boards. the they sort of take the reference and yeah. then they overclock it. Right. Generally speaking, and a stock overclock. So that means. It's it's done by the by the factory and it hasn't been done by a user, so therefore it won't affect its performance and, negatively. And presumably they then have a warranty against it. They have a warranty with it as well, and on top of that, they put usually a cooler. So obviously, yeah. AMD were previously known and notoriously badly um, represented in the community for having bad coolers on their reference coolers, a yeah. reference design. Sorry. And say MSI got the dual Forza design, which is a dual fan, which really does cool at really silent. Um, okay really silently is that the word um so that is the benefits of having an aftermarket yeah and on top of that you got a lot of competition so when you've got say evga gigabyte msi asus all fighting against each other oh totally you get loads of price wars well, i can see it i can see it from nvidia's point of view because they put up the reference board they get paid whoever's exactly whoever's graphics card gets sold but if you're that third party manufacturer that's a tough game to be in it's a bit mm-hmm. like being a windows oem you've, yeah. you've got to make something that's that's sufficiently interesting to stand out, but your margin's always getting squeezed because you've got to got to fight for the lowest price as well. Exactly, exactly. And for us consumers, it just makes it yeah. really fun to watch or good for us for our bank balances. So, so. How, how does this fit in with... Um, I know the answer to this, by the way. I'm just prompting Christopher oh, to say. Okay. Uh, so 
the vast majority of laptops and PCs these days will be sold with Intel system on a chip yep. um, CPUs. Mm-hmm. They don't need a discrete graphics card. Mm-hmm. But these graphics cards are for gamers, essentially. Yeah, so they're a full-blown graphics card at the moment, and often the cases with NVIDIA, even, I don't want to say AMD, because they're... Anyway, yeah, generally with NVIDIA... Don't open they, that uh, worms. I don't want to open that. So, um, yeah, generally they will produce the M version of their graphics card. So, for example, the um, GTX 1080M would be made for mobile um, gaming, so therefore laptop gaming. So often you'll find... Um, laptops with inbuilt graphics cards um, or just their NVIDIA iGPU sure. graphics cards. So I'm getting the impression from the previous section, Christopher, that you are very much a PC gamer rather than a console gamer. Oh yeah, for sure. I used to be a massive console gamer. I had a Xbox, original Xbox and an Xbox 360. I played on the PS2 for a long time as well. Um, which but now do you look back that. on those days as if they were like you were wearing a terrible 70s Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Suits or something. <laughs> well, I saw it as more of a, because the way I transitioned was, I used to be a PC gamer when I was really young, realized I needed a better graphics card which is funny what we're talking about right now. And then that was too expensive and I couldn't be bothered to do with all the driver compatibility issues sure. and the game yeah. compatibility. So I went to a console with Need for Speed Underground. Fantastic game, by the way. <laughs> um, and and being, I was on console for six years, then moved on back to PC because I was like, I just want better performance yeah. and I can afford it now. Sure. So we've got a... I'm just plugging it in over here. We've got it under £500 PC build guide. So if you guys are looking for a good Absolutely, PC, yeah, yeah, yeah. go ahead and check out my, uh, well, I should say our uh, uh, build guide. That's on, on, that. uh, on PC Advisor, yeah? It is indeed. So a uh, little plug. Like <laughs> so what about what about you guys? Uh, Henry, you said you weren't a gamer. So I presume the graphics card in your machine means next to nothing to you. That is correct. <laughs> I have literally no idea what just happened. <laughs> I've been the- thinking a lot about Call of Duty Pro Skater 2, though, since we were talking about skating in cod up walls. So I was just kind of thinking about that as a mashup. Cool. Um, uh, so good someone idea. else should talk now. <laughs> uh, but then, so just to start about you, Christopher. So, there is, so to the non gamer, there's no value to a, to a great graphics card, or is there? I mean, does it affect things like um, watching high definition content? Or- well, all graphics card, I would say, in the last 10 years would probably be able to yeah. handle um, high-deficient content. Sure. But more of the fact of, I think, what David was asking me um, prior to the um, podcast was, what are the other features that come out with these graphics cards? And there's a few um, interesting things, like NVIDIA Ansel, which basically brings cool screenshots um, functionalities to your games. I've got a number for that. Go ahead. Uh <laughs> Uh, six, Looks at his notes. 61,440 by 34,560. Well, that's the resolution. resolution. That's the resolution it can capture screenshots at. But then why would you ever need that? Christopher. If you were going to blow up the size of a building. <laughs> I, I don't think you'd need you'd ever need that sort of resolution, but it's more of the fact of that Ansel technology brings... Normally you screenshot, it just takes where you're looking at in the game. Yeah. Whereas with certain games that will have Ansel built into them, so developers would have to actually adopt it when they're developing the game or when they're doing updates to the game, is that it takes different angles that you can't see in the game. So, for example, if I was swinging my sword and the sword was in front of my face, as I was doing, (laughs) in a game, obviously... Can we ever have a podcast without some kind of innuendo? (laughs) 
And um, so anyway, it would just take different screenshots from different angles. Sure. And it would look cool because you could make a collage of it and like okay. make a kind of like Instagram-esque uh, post on it, which like, look at the swinging on my sword. Hey, <laughs> you do it. <laughs> two ideas. Two ideas we've just had. Okay, we've got this Call of Duty skate mashup. And then you've got a kind of Tinder stroke gaming uh, mashup. I'm down for that. I'm down for um, that. I'll probably get more Tinder matches on that. Sword, sword swinger or sword something. Swinger. Without the ER at the end, sword swinger. <laughs> Food for thought. David, I'm going to throw this over to you now. Uh, uh, You are a gamer, self-avowed. I am, I am, but but in a different way. You're a Mac guy. So, I mean, you're not, I I know the answer, but again, just imagine, you know, we're talking to the listener here. Um, And, you know, you you don't particularly game on consoles either. Well, I I mostly game, uh, this may actually disqualify me from calling myself a gamer, I mostly game on iPad. Um, And my favourite game, uh, I think of all time is uh, FTL, and FTL has very very simple graphics. and And I I do consider myself a gamer, but I don't really care about graphics in general. So this this sort this means this sort of announcement really leaves me cold because I don't I don't I don't need it. Christopher is is David the scum of the earth as far as you're concerned. <laughs> in fact, he's completely the opposite, and Ooh. I love that because what's the opposite of the scum? Of he's the he's the cleaning product of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> well. It just, I mean, going going back to what you just said, David. I mean, graphics are not everything, and a gamer that plays purely on graphics is not a true gamer. No matter whoever whoever right. tells you otherwise, yeah, that's right. It's honestly, you could play on. I'm going to a... bring Chris Martin in here. Do you agree, Chris? <laughs> what what was it? <laughs> Carry on, well, graphics do add a nice little dimension to a game, and obviously, the more pleasant the viewing experience, it's great. But you shouldn't consider yourself not a gamer if you can't game on 4K ultra resolution through four different monitors and all of this shebang. Sure, these graphics cards will allow you to do that. Probably not that amount of monitors and that resolution. But anyway, it's it's something that adds to a gaming experience, but it shouldn't be the purpose of a gaming experience. A gamer, to me, is a, a you know someone who's playing Candy Crush to someone who's playing um, I don't know Fallout Four yeah. or Counter Strike. Well, Tetris. People still play Tetris whatever. today, exactly because it's such a simple but beautifully executed game. Yeah, yeah. it's a very know. elegant design. Cool. Okay. Well, before we take uh, another short break, let's quickly go around the room. Uh, David Price, Chairman of the Board, or really, really bored. Chairman of the Board. Henry Burrell. Chairman of the Board. Oh, interesting. Mm. Uh, Christopher Manassias. I think it's pretty. It's pretty obvious. Isn't Chairman it? of the Board. <laughs> Chris Martin. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a short back break and we'll be back in two seconds. Henry Burrell. Um E E Fallen. Can you tell me why three is not the magic number? Or is it? Um I'm on Vophone, which definitely isn't the magic number. But yeah. Um so I was gonna talk about a couple of things that are to do with mobile networks, not the immediately most sexy topic. Uh but this week EE basically done a tweet and got three banned. So we've all seen that that <laughs> advert. Uh with the the three guy that looks like a Muppet but's not a Muppet, who's like really happy about all the four G he gets. Jackson. Jackson, that's it. Yeah. Is it was this, is he the guy who sang the uh uh E seventeen song? think so the fist yeah. bumping p- 
puppet. Yeah, so <laughs> irritating. Exactly. Well, no longer because the uh, advert campaign that three used for that called it the Undisputed and said it was sort of the unmatched uh, network in the UK. EE, all it did was tweet a picture of the dictionary definition of undisputed, <laughs> kicked up a bit of a fuss, and now the advert can't run in its in its current form because. It's not undisputed. Because there is dispute about whether 3 is the best network. Indeed. Um, and then that takes it sort of to uh, maybe what should be a larger story, I feel, is that um, Hutchison, who owns 3, mm-hmm. uh, isn't allowed to buy O2. From Telefonica. Indeed. Uh, it's not allowed, which is um, sort of on the, on, the, uh, on the face of things slightly weird considering the um, European Commission did allow BT to purchase EE. Mm. Um, it, it can get a little bit dull, so I try and keep it. I try and well, keep it zesty. <laughs> well, here's my thought as a consumer, right? Yeah. On the one hand, more competition is almost always good, and I remember when that most recent purchase was made that you just described. Um, you know, there were these dire warnings coming from, I presume, from the other brands, but it was all kind of below the line yeah. about how it was going to add twenty quid a year or whatever to your, to your bill. I just put that somewhere in the air, but. The interesting thing with all infrastructure and certainly all connectivity infrastructure is one of the biggest problems we have in this stupid country. I love this country. I'm, I'm just being on this on this particular issue <laughs> is that we've got what four different networks, all of whom use some different infrastructure in different places. They do share in more rural areas. Yeah. But what are we talking about now? Three E, Vodafone, O two. Are there any other? Major no, networks out no there. Those, those are the four major ones, and then you've got your subsidiaries like uh, Virgin Media or Tesla. Sure. Tes- Tes- they Mobile, buy places on other people's. Yeah. So, so if I'm outside of a large metropolitan area, we all work in central London, live around London. So, by and large, this is not an issue. But if I'm outside a large metropolitan area, I'm basically reliant on the fact that one of those four has found it economic to put infrastructure in place. So actually, doesn't make it doesn't always help the consumer that there are four different companies because they're interested in making making money essentially, yeah. and that doesn't necessarily mean they want the best coverage for everybody. So I don't know what I think. <laughs> what do you think? Henry? Um, well, I was kind of I think obviously having a, having a, a think about it, and the reasons given for blocking three buying O2. I mean, this is putting it very basically is it's because it's one mobile operator trying to merge with another mobile operator, right? And like you say. Um, bringing down competition um, in that way, uh, you would risk prices rising um, with nobody to combat that or being able to combat that. I think maybe BT um, buying EE um, was allowed not only because they got in there first, but also because BT um, doesn't own any, uh, well, it's got BT Mobile now, but it owes much less mobile infrastructure. So, um, this, so it, And this was, again, BT is really complicated. So this was yeah. BT, the consumer company, rather than BT, the... Uh, BT Open World, who like in, have the yeah, Open Reach, yeah, indeed, yeah, yeah. So it's like the guys who run BT Sport, basically. Sure. They bought EE, but they're not going to rebrand it. They haven't really so far messed with um, subscribers and, and and how their service is delivered. It's kind of just bought it as an asset. Whereas there was the the thinking that three and O two merging would become a huge sort of mono monolith sure. <laughs> um, to to raise prices. I mean, and also that there was a a good point when I read into it a bit further. Um, in, from a competition point of view, um, Vodafone and O2, like you said, for sometimes rural reasons, share some yeah. spectrum, and EE share some with three. Okay. So if three were to buy O2, that that, com- that holding one. company would have um, like control of all the different masts in the UK. Imagine if we had like publicly owned masts all over the country. <laughs> Just throwing it out there, guys. That's what we should do. We should nationalise it. It's such a it's such a crucial thing these days. 
I think so. I mean, it, I'm being slightly controversial, but I always make the analogy with the railways in that there are certain things, even an old trot like me can understand that it makes sense to in- introduce competition. But when it's infrastructure, it rarely makes sense. Mm-hmm. With the railways, if you could have two different companies competing on the same lines, fair enough. But why would you ever sell off the lines? Because the companies exist to make money. So why should they invest in stuff that's not going to return a dividend for a long time? Yeah. And it kind of, it's the same way with the network. So again, I'm, I'm really conflicted. I'm not saying it would be a good thing to have one monolithic network work run by a commercial organization but the current situation well i don't think it's great let, let, let's see what do you guys think first of all who is who is everyone with in terms of a mobile network david i don't know you don't know excellent <laughs> isn't that, isn't that terrible? that's amazing henry you're with vodafone and yeah you, and you I expressed hate, some, i hate vodafone okay. uh christopher funny enough you mentioned those companies i was with three yeah and moved down to ee and why did you move so three doesn't actually own most of their network yeah, they yeah. use most of ee's network sure. and therefore when i did a lot of speed and they're tests often, they're often second in the queue although exactly. they claim not actually but they, but they claim not world. <laughs> yeah but i mean i i did um back at uni i did um a dissertation on networks um, Here we go. And um, it was a free mobile in France versus Orange, which Orange was the equivalent of yeah. EE and free mobile was the equivalent of three. Yeah. Um, long story short, free um, has gone so popular that now Orange wants to buy free, which is just crazy um, in terms of like a competition point of view and in terms of the network infrastructure. What I don't get is how on earth is EE, how was EE formed in terms of Orange and T-Mobile being merged and now being allowed to be bought by BT whilst <laughs> three can't be merged? Cash it just, money. Cash money, basically. <laughs> I, it baffles me. But, um, but then, yeah, So from a consumer point of view, the reason you changed was because better network experience. Right? Exactly. So infrastructure is really important to I'm, me. I'm with O2, generally speaking, never had a problem with it. My wife's with EE. Um, uh, her only real sort of consideration is price and does it work in our house basically even though we've got Wi-Fi it's kind of in the areas in which she is most recently Henry you, you, you suggested as many people do and it's interesting because Vodafone is hugely advertising at the minute around how awesome the network is it's mm. about this 30 day money back guarantee but traditionally it's all hearsay Vodafone has been considered the crappy network it's getting a lot of bad rep um not necessarily for its performance to be fair i can't really fault that it's more the customer service right (laughs) i'm overcharged every single month on my current contract and every time i call them up and they say they fix it it still it still happens but anyway i'll get very angry about that um but but (laughs) but still you're with them i'm stuck in a contract okay yeah so so when that contract comes up i will not be and what will be the main focus of your uh Hunt. Um, you're going to get lots well, of calls. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the main thing for the consumer is is the price, but yeah. that often gets lost in at least the UK market because it's so based on what smartphone people want. Yeah, and the subsidies of that, people will generally pay a premium with the network that can basically offer them the iPhone on the first day. Totally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. Um, but then I can see from an infrastructure point of view that it gets a little bit. Um, unfair some, somewhat on the operators because it's really difficult to get coverage everywhere. Of course it is, yeah. Uh, we're, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're in central London, we're on O2. Yeah. We can see the mast from our office. It's on the top of the British Library. Um, and O2 reception in this building is really spotty. So, yeah. Well, it's just physics. The, it's, it's a sort of a building so with walls. So many networks. And then, yeah, buildings with walls. <laughs> Which is where, where, we were, I mean, um, where Wi-Fi comes in. Obviously, you've got Wi-Fi at work, Wi-Fi at home. But then... I think some people feel that they should have public Wi-Fi for free, but a lot of companies that run those that public Wi-Fi 
infrastructure like hold on a minute just because the everyone has a phone everyone's mobile first now and you have um, a reliance on the expensive contract they paid for people kind of feel wait well, where's my where's my own building wi-fi but mm. those companies are like no you can't have that for free yeah. well exactly because how would they then make money yeah it? exactly it's because they the often people will compare it to other countries yeah. south korea yeah. unbelievable like mm. you've got the internet in the train whilst it's moving not at the platform but you've got it also at the platform but that is heavily subsidized by exactly isn't it? So, and also and also horrible imagine having the internet on the train so everybody, everybody's there, and they're not. I, I, I imagine having the internet on the train. I like let me take you, Let me take you to Southwest Trains, <laughs> and you can experience this. I mean, on the underground, I like that there should occasionally be moments of disconnection. No, I agree. Yeah, I, it's funny because um, you know our our, our global CEO, uh, who's a man called Michael. I was talking to him about this recently, and he was saying that um, he was really frustrated because he'd got this guy gets on planes four days a week at least. And he was saying, oh, the flight over from the States, they didn't have uh, onboard Wi-Fi. And I was like, I didn't say this to him. I was like, you maniac. Surely like that, <laughs> that six or seven hours yeah. where you can Read just completely switch off. I, if that was me, I love journeys like that. Yeah. I active, especially because since becoming a father, flying somewhere on my own is the dream. <laughs> <laughs> I had that recently. I had a, um, a flight, which for various reasons, my family were not on. And they sat me next to a child whose parents weren't with him. So I ended up being like a surrogate dad. It was awful. <laughs> what are the chances? You shouldn't have been wearing your world's best dad t-shirt. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was going to ask about public Wi-Fi because, you know, there was a time when when this was considered to be, um, uh, you know, the answer to our network issues. And certainly in uh, less developed countries, the infrastructure is not going to come under the ground. It's going to come through the sky, you know, um, most people who are getting online now in in South Asia or in uh, the in Africa or in South America who are getting online for the first time are doing so through mobile devices. What's our experience of using public Wi-Fi in the UK? In London, it's generally pretty good, I think, as long as you're prepared to sign up to various different accounts. Well, that's the yeah. thing you get you get faced with those splash pages, which people get annoyed at. But I mean, companies are kind of. Not one, not one company owns all that Wi-Fi. So you've got, you've got the cloud in London and BT owns quite yeah. a lot of, um, of Wi-Fi as well. But then some of them are just like local businesses that own Wi-Fi and they need it because people come in and buy that extra coffee. Yeah. But they need those pages to gather sort of personal data and that's a, yeah. whole, that's a whole other argument. But it's, like, it's the equivalent something. of the yeah. free web content thing, yeah. isn't it? It's like yeah. you come to our websites, we're going to deliver ads. If you add ad blockers, you're essentially freeloading. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Mm. Okay, so we'll see how this pans out. What do you think, Henry? Do you think... So the three being blocked from Bino two, is that the end of this story? Or are they? Going I don't to think so. Them? I think um, three or Hutchison they have enough money to make it legal. You know, sort of to take it, take it to the man. Sure, they're probably going to not not go down um, without a fight. But I think it is a little bit odd in terms of the past few years because you've had deals in like Germany and Austria um, where one operator's bought the other one and it's just kind of been waved through by the same authorities. Yeah. Um. So it's um. It's going to be interesting to see why exactly it's not been allowed to happen in the UK. Do you know why Telefonica wants to sell O2, by the way? I don't Because they're really in sort of every country in the world. It <laughs> seems odd that they would exit the UK. I'm not too sure, um, yeah. which is which is probably something I should know. I don't know. I, mean, I, I, you know, I, I think it's, it would be speculation anyway. It just it intrigued me. Um, I think probably £12.5 they probably like that. <laughs> yeah, a bit of cash money. Yeah. Always goes down well. Okay, brilliant. Thank you, guys. Let's go around the room. Uh, network gains or caught in a network? Don't really know what that means. <laughs> Positive or negative? Uh, 
neutral, I think. I was, I was a bit baffled by quite a lot of that, yeah. which I'm ashamed to admit. That's no, um, good. Uh, do you, do you, do you, Christopher? Do you still think David is uh, the scum of the uh, the cleaning product of the, the sky? Cleaning product of the sky. <laughs> cleaning <laughs> product of the sky. Excellent. Henry, network gains or caught in a network? I'm still caught in a network. Yeah. Christopher? Um, yeah, I'm good for all networks. Okay. Uh, Chris Martin, any thoughts? Don't buy your phone on a contract. No, that's very true. <laughs> Actually, that's really, I've really sound that. advice. <laughs> and also, if you live in a built up uh, urban area, you, you can, you've got a big choice on Sims as well because you can go for companies like GifGaf who will give you... Crystal just punch the air. Crystal, <laughs> uh, who, you know, who, who will give you a really good deal on the best connectivity available through that Sim. Uh, but yeah, it is always the best decision to buy your phone outright and then get your Sim separate. Just saying. Good. Okay. Thanks for listening to this edition of the UK Tech Weekly podcast, listener. It was a long one, but I think it was uh, worth it to get through such weighty matters of philosophy, war, history, and cleaning products in the sky. <laughs> Do get in touch. Let us know your thoughts and opinions and shake us down for cash. Or indeed, if you're interested in advertising, you can tweet us at UK Tech Podcast or email editor at IDG UK. We will be back next week with more informed opinion on the hottest topics in tech. Until then... Don't forget to subscribe, to review, and tell all your friends about how awesome this listening experience was. And when we see you next week, uh, I will now say say goodbye, guys. See you later. Bye. Bye. It's very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> UK Tech Weekly Podcast.